Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1065, air date May 24th, 2022. Good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to have a conversation today with um, a colleague of mine, uh, John Medlar, and we're going to uh, talk about uh, this very, very interesting question that I had to consider actually back in uh, 1994, and I'll share with you about it. It's, it's The question is, are you a robot or human, and what's the difference? And this question um, came up again today. You know, we have our uh, daily staff meetings from around 8 to 10 a.m. in the morning, and we had a very interesting incident take place, which I'll talk about. And that led to coming back and revisiting this question and started a very, very interesting conversation. But most importantly, what this conversation really, uh, the discussion really brought up was the fundamental uh, question, either people deal with it explicitly or uh, sometimes people don't even deal with it, which is, are you a robot? And what does it mean to be a robot or are you a human? And really, what's the difference? And that's a question we're going to talk about. And I'm uh, joined with uh, a colleague of mine here, John Medlar. John? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So John and I, I think a couple of years ago, I had a conversation similar to this uh, with another person, and we did a podcast on it. And I shared my thoughts really looking back from an engineering system standpoint. Uh, and the question was, you know, what is AI? And I really went into this clarifying that in the midst of all the hype about AI, AI has existed for a long time. So we'll talk about that, yeah. you know, like what, th what that really means. Um, but we'll have a deeper conversation on a very personal note on the question, are you a robot, John? Yeah, well, I, hope, robot, I, hope, yeah? I hope not. Unless I'm, yeah. only, I'm one of the and, infiltrators. Maybe, maybe we're lizard men. Right. But we'll have, that, we'll have that question. And I hope this will give you a perspective on particularly understanding why I'm so sort of intent on um, making everyone aware why people need to start to learn how to think, why we need to think beyond left and right, why we need to take a systems approach. And hopefully to, to sort of give you the punchline, the goal is um, to, to basically recognize that either you can be the small ant who never sees the anthill, or you see the entire anthill, the system, and you recognize that you are also an ant and what, you know, what role you play consciously or unconsciously. So um, that's really sort of the punchline, which we'll go to. And um, we before, so we, just, we love getting fact-checked by a robot. Yeah. But before we go there, um, I want to first play you the anthem video that we always play, which really sort of uh, sets the tone. And then we're going to come back and then we're going to have a quick conversation. I'm going to play another video. I'm going to show you actually at a recent analysis, they looked at 15 humanoid robots. It just came out about a year ago. And there's two of the robots, which look very, very lifelike. So we're going to share that video. Um, but let me play you our uh, anthem video, which really gives sort of the uh, people get very inspired by this video. So let me play it and we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them. 
that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left wing, right wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom and health leaders we don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. Wow. We got to train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow, you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own quote unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to bashiva.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people. Two years of MIT control systems, I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it, anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I gotta build a bottoms up movement. 
They have to get politically astute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. Now, the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on V as in Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com, so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, and health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, VAShiva.com. All right, everyone. By the way, in that uh, uh, video that I play uh, many evenings or afternoons when I do these videos, I use the word revolution. It's a very charged word, um, and some people may have various definitions of it. Well, if you get the book System and Revolution right here, which I wrote actually when I was uh, in France at the Paris Commune. Interesting enough, that's it was a hotel near there. But this book is a great book because it actually defines scientifically from an engineering standpoint, what is the word system and what is revolution? And it gives you an incredible education that you really can't get at any university. It took me about 50 years to write this book. Um, and one of the things I've done is we've sold tens of thousands of copies. I made this book absolutely free. Uh, please get it because it'll really help you uh, understand what is a robot, what is a human, and, what, and, and it'll give you the knowledge to actually be a human but it'll explain to you what the word revolution is. So there's no mistakes about what I mean by that definition. Um, and if you notice there's, you can get the free book, go to vashiva.com slash join and it's free. You just have to pay shipping and handling. And by the way, our truth, freedom and health warrior program, we we're, we, it's a program that I charge like $2,600 for. We're giving away a $2,500 scholarship and you have to charge something. Otherwise you guys don't value anything. Mm -hmm. Just a weird human psychology. Yeah. Um, and but then you as an adult can get it for 100 bucks and then you can give it away to any child, anyone between the age of 13 to 18 for absolutely free. So we just want to get this knowledge out there. So let's have this conversation. John, when you hear the word robot, what do you think about? It? I know you're a big Star Wars fan. Yeah, yeah. So what, the way I think about robots and this might not be the, a correct definition, but this is sort of comes to mind to me is I think of machines that are made to mimic human behaviors. I don't know if that's, if that's how accurate that is, but it, it could come from like, uh, you know, trying to replicate entire human behaviors, like make machines like so C3PO or something who can like look sort of humanoid, like a human body and act like a human, or it can be um, uh, something like an R2D2 where it doesn't look human, but it can do a lot of the, say same things or maybe it can just be like a, an arm in a factory that's meant to replicate like one specific repetitive motion or something but that's sort of my uh my 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 understanding of what a robot is it's something whether it's an isolated repetitive motion or a whole range of of uh tasks and processes it's something that's meant to rep it's a machine that's meant to replicate some sort of human action or human interaction yeah so you're looking at it in a very practical way you have a human being can do a whole array of actions mm -hmm. and then we have robots who can do like uh, robots that are used to make cars or robots that can do a particular action let's ask our audience out there maybe you can read um what do you guys think what a definition of a robot is um what's and just uh, put it in the chat and we'll post them up what is your definition of a robot 
What is uh, people's definition of a robot? Okay, so that's a question. Machine versus an organism. Okay, something that's different than an organism. Okay, does it, does it necessarily need to be the difference whether it's a uh, whether it's a organic machine or an inorganic machine? Right. So let's just get people's ideas. Joe Biden. So <laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> keep that up okay. Joe Biden. Uh, machine. Yeah. So Bill Bill Kunkel says Joe Biden is a robot. Well, he, he definitely has the whole input output thing going. Something goes into the little earpiece in his ear, and he says stuff. Right. And sometimes. Well, he, we'll talk about that. A lot of people don't know the open system. Right. Um, what else? I'm going to say. Program machine without consciousness. Very very interesting, Stephanie. Very interesting definition. That's a good one. Uh, what else we got? Most people walking around today. <laughs> so Verminard Michael says most people walking around today, zombies. That's his def Michael's definition of a robot, a machine that does a task similar, similar to what John, you said. Mm -hmm. um, Joe Biden is one, right? Let's just keep putting them up, John. Right. Um, what is an organic machine? Someone asks. Dependent on outside resources. Uh -huh. That's that's interesting. But, but that I think that could that organic Organic organisms also depend on outside resources. We just have to go and get them. Yeah. So does that? So does uh? So does Irene? There's another one. Program machine. Let's yeah. just put other people's example. Yeah. Uh, machine metals technology that replicate what humans do. Mm -hmm. All right. So it looks like there's sort of uh, ability to work anything. All right, John. So I think what we're seeing is a bunch of people are saying a program machine, something artificial, something that does what a human being can do. A mechanistic operation, right? And then you have other philosophical things people are putting up there, like Joe Biden, uh, machine, you know, uh, uh, something that's programmed, consciousness, right? Built by man, not God. Okay. So to support this conversation, um, you know, um, to give you a little bit of background, uh, John, if we can, yep. to give you a little bit of background, um, to me, this is a very interesting area because for probably about 23 years, I did research in what you today call AI. It was called pattern recognition. And I think I may have shared some of this with you, John, when um, after I created that first email system back in 78, when I came to MIT, I was very interested in pattern analysis because my grandmother would look at your face and she could look at all the patterns in your face and she could categorize whether you had a liver issue, whether you had a kidney issue, whatever issue that she had. So she was very adept at looking at the face and seeing this. So I was very interested in what's called pattern analysis. So most of my research at MIT in one way or another was around pattern analysis. Mm -hmm. And what it leads you to understand is this is a very powerful part of being an intelligent human being. Um, in fact, it can mean that between life and death, a snake is coming at you. Do you run or do you pet it, right? Um, it could be a poisonous snake. Do you eat this mushroom and that mushroom, right? You could get yourself killed, um, so on. So pattern recognition has been essential to human survival. Those people can recognize certain patterns. They can become great musicians, right? Mm -hmm. Others are not so good musicians, right? Yeah. People see a snake of a particular pattern and the ones that can recognize, oh, that's the poisonous one. I right. Mean, or they run and, so, and then you have this learning process, mm -hmm. right? So that became a field that I uh, defined called information cybernetics for my PhD work when I started 93, which came, which I stopped to go do a company. But during that time, I was creating many, many different pattern recognition techniques for analyzing face recognition, handwriting recognition, document analysis, all these kinds of patterns. And I ended up getting interestingly involved in a competition to um, uh, automatically categorize my second sort of life with email to categorize 
the White House's email. There was a competition in 1993 that was run by the White House and the National Institute of Standards to see if a robot or a machine could take email and automatically bucket it into different categories. Mm -hmm. And there were five publicly traded companies. I was the only student at MIT who was asked to participate. Anyway, I ended up winning that competition, left MIT in the middle to start a company called EchoMail. And EchoMail became the leading company in the world that could automatically read email and sort it for all different companies. And we work with the biggest companies in the world, Nike and Citigroup and American Express. All these companies would send us their email. We would analyze it, route it, respond to it. Anyway, it was basically AI, what yeah. you called AI. I've seen that you've had like framed newspaper clips around the office here. So they, they, they called you Dr. Email back then. Yeah. So before there was any issue about who invented email, you know, I was known as Dr. Email and you can, we should probably do a whole video on that, right? Yeah, that'd be great. You, you guys will see that I was, I've been involved in email through the invention of it and then through the area of handling the problem that email created. A lot of people started getting inbound stuff and everyone became secretaries and people had to sort email. When Bill Clinton was in office, he ran this competition, which I ended up winning. And the goal was um, prior to the invention of echo mail, the way people handled email was they hired people to do it. Bill Clinton had a lot of interns. Probably shouldn't use the word interns with Bill Clinton, but um, anyway, he would have had to hire lots of interns mm -hmm. to handle his email. So anyway, so what ended up happening to me uh, was I was observing emails coming. And I remember staying awake a couple of nights as I was building this technology. And I saw all these emails coming in from our new customers, Nike. And as you saw these emails come in, you could see there was clear patterns in how people wrote wherever they were. And you could see human beings were frankly robots. Mm -hmm. Nike had just done an ad campaign about selling a shoe. And all over the world, people would write in in very sim similar languages. It was frankly easy for me to bucket him. Mm -hmm. And that's why I came to the conclusion. And then once in a while, you'd see very thoughtful emails. But most people would just react to these emails thinking they were being hip. Mm -hmm. And so I remember going to, uh, this was uh, 1994 or 1995. And I remember going to bed that later that evening. And I had a very interesting dream. And the dream was I was sitting across a table with something that looked just like me, but I knew that was a robot. Mm. You're having a t dream about the, the Terminator or something like that? Something like that. It's like the invasion of the body snatchers or something. Right. And, and, the, and the question that went through my mind in the dream, I'll never forget, it was like, okay, one day there will be beings that will look, probably be able to talk, probably be able to do everything a human does. Even, in fact, feel, right? with their hands, tactile senses, smell. The question will become when they can do all those things, and they look, act like you, what is the difference between you and that robot? Mm -hmm. And it was a very powerful question. And I'll share with you the answer I came to, which is we'll have the conversation. Um, but the real question is what is the difference between me and one day that thing, like you said, that can do everything I can do. Let's say it can write, it can maybe even eat, mm -hmm. right? It can talk to you. What will be that difference? Yeah, which answers answers Peter's question here because his comment about organic machines was apparently in response to my uh, my my commenting on that. So yeah, when you get a when you get a machine that if you if you could literally build a machine out of organic material to do all the things that human do, that's when you really start to blur the lines. Of right, it's conceptually at least. Yeah, and there's a field called synthetic biology which may be able to do stuff like that. Okay, mm -hmm. so just put into perspective that one day you could have something that looks exactly like you. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a new field called effective computing. One of my former advisors at MIT, Roz Picard, is sort of the laser effective. You may want to just type that in, affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. Affective comp computing is to compute emotions. So could you actually put emotions into machines, effective computing? So anyway, we're headed in this direction. And anyone who thinks we're not going to be able to create a machine, organic or silicon, carbon-based, that can probably look like you, um, you're going to be behind the times. So the question really becomes, what is going to be the difference between one day, let's say across from you, John, they're sitting there, something that looks like John Medlar, has the same beard, has the same quirks, wears the same things, smells like you, maybe even eats like you. Mm -hmm. What is it between you and that robot? Okay. And before I go there, I wanted to play for people. Um, there was a, a recent event about a year ago looking at the most 15 humanoid robots. And I want to play for you what the author uh, considered to be two of those robots. Okay. Two of the, he considered the top two. So I'm going to just play this and you'll see the quality of robots that are, and this was a year ago. Okay. Um, but let me just play the quality of these robots here. So I'm going to play this and we'll get an idea of what's um, on the horizon. Number two, Sophia. One of the most uncanny humanoid robots with an incredible AI system has got to be the Hansen's robotic Sophia. Built in Hong Kong and debuting at the South by Southwest Festival in 2016, Sophia looks more human than AI. Sophia is a social robot who uses her AI to recognize human faces a conversation and even form relationships. Famously, she even made a late night television appearance, told jokes to the audience and acknowledged that they were laughing. And while she's coming up with jokes and icebreakers with machine learning rather than off the top of her head, she knows exactly when and how to say them. And her human-like facial expressions reflect each situation she finds herself in. But Sophia can understand and answer very basic questions like, what are you looking at? And is the door open or closed? And while she may not yet understand everything she's saying, she can use her dialogue system to correctly piece together what to say, which is better than most humans can do. Sophia has become so popular and groundbreaking that she became a legal citizen of Saudi Arabia just after her release. Robots. You're sure they're happy to have her. Number one, Geminoid DK. Next time you're walking down the busy city streets, you could be crossing paths with this most human of looking robots. His name, Geminoid DK. Okay, maybe not the coolest or most practical name in the world, but Geminoid DK is going to have you fooled at first, second, and maybe even third glances. And even then, you may be asking yourself if this is a human pretending to be a robot rather than the other way around. But rest easy because this guy is, at the end of the day, just a bucket of nuts and bolts, albeit very well put together nuts and bolts. Geminoid DK is the next generation of the Geminoid series of ultra-realistic androids from Kokoro, a Japanese firm, and Osaka University roboticist Hiroshi Ishiguro. And believe it or not, the DK was designed to look just like Professor Heinrich Scharf of Alborg at the University of Denmark. Now we can't even tell the two apart. The robot impersonator cost about 200 grand and was created in order to study people's reactions to lifelike robots. Because frankly, unless you're one of the world's top robotics teams, it's not something many of us have grown accustomed to just yet. Kind of a strange life purpose for the Geminoid DK. But then you have to ask, is something like this even alive? So anyway, I wanted to uh, just quickly play that because it, it gives you an idea, a very glimpse um, of where things are going. 
And it's just going to get keep betting better and better and better as, you know, human beings focus on this kind of stuff. So the question again comes, what is it between a human and a robot, you know? And I think the way to ask this question, and everyone needs to sort of close their eyes and perhaps think about this question, is have you ever had to deal with death or have you ever had to deal with the loss of love? Okay. And have you ever had to consider yourself as not just as a part of you, but as a part of something bigger? And these are, to me, this is where the question really begins. Because if people haven't had to think about death, they haven't had to think about the loss of love, or they haven't had to think about themselves as part of something larger or, or make that as a part of their questions, whether they're working at some place and thinking they're just there to do a task or are they part of something larger and they understand that, then basically they're a robot. That's my definition. If you haven't had to deal with these questions, more than likely you're a robot. And there could be an opportunity that a robot may actually be a human. Hmm. Okay. There could be a being that it's in a silicon based structure, but it may ask these questions actually. And this is a very deeply philosophical, religious, spiritual question too. Could, because many people argue that soul from the religious perspective exists independent of the body, right? The physical mm -hmm. body. Well, could a soul be inside? Could it be and end up in, inside of a quote unquote robot? Are there robots who have no soul? Are there humans who have no soul, right? Yeah. These these are very interesting questions. Yeah, no, and the, the the question about the relationship between the soul and the body goes back to even like um uh, a lot of like um ancient like uh, Greek or even Hebrew philosophers, and I and I forget I forget who was on which side. I think Aristotle and Plato argued about this, but I've but I know that one school of thought was that the soul was completely separate from the body, and you could have like a disembodied soul, like a ghost or something like that. And the, another school of thought was that no, the, a soul needs a body of of some sort, whether that was organic or or inorganic. But there's, uh, but th that was the other school of thought that there is a intrinsic relationship between the soul and the body, and they need each other. Yeah. So for thousands of years, even before that, you know the. Uh, Shaivaya tradition, the Hindu tradition, which is a deep tradition, actually tried to answer this in a very profound way. And their conclusion was that there is a soul and the soul over time gets covered with different sheaths, S-H-E-A-T-H-S, which are called koshas, which I actually discuss in the book Systems Health. So what are these koshas? Um, so in the Indian system of yogic science, you have soul, which they believe was a part of God, right? So you actually were, you're not God, but you merge with the ultimate. And whatever happens over time, that soul body gets covered with different sheets. So the first sheet that they called, what was called the uh, etheric body, right? So it's almost like you put a jacket on the soul. The next sheet was called the causal body. The next sheath was called the astral body and the final body was, an, uh, well, the final sheath was called the physical body. And what the, these yogic scientists argued or demonstrated was that through the process of connecting with God, and they gave a multitude of ways to do this, you ripped away those layers 
and you reconnected with that which you actually are, which is a part of the ultimate, okay? And so the entire process of human life was to rip away those layers. Now, if you've had the experience where you have done some types of, some, some people in different religions, in the Christian religion, you go to a monastery, in the Hindu religion, you go to an ashram. Um, but many of these practices were set up where you could essentially shut yourself off from all the outside disruptions of the world and reconnect with you. And in the Buddhist technique, that was you observe the breath or you observe sensations on your body. Um, in many religions, they did prayer, they did chants, but it was ultimately trying to uh, get out of the distractions. And when you did that process, you're able to connect with this soul body, okay? Now, what's interesting to me is that you have a new phenomenon that's taking place called virtual reality, okay? And I would argue that's almost another body we're adding on. So imagine, John, you're, let's say right now you actually were wearing uh, VR goggles. Mm -hmm. This, and you would know it. Let's say they were such high fidelity supercomputing VR goggles that you're actually wearing it. Literally I, in the matrix. In so. the ma And I'm wearing it and I could be, I don't know, some on some other planet mm -hmm. and you could be on some other planet and you're wearing, and in fact, you grew up wearing these VR goggles. Yeah. Young, the, most people over the age of 20 grew up with these iPhones. Mm -hmm. They grew up with the internet everywhere. They didn't know a time when there was not an internet, yeah. right? So if you grow up, imagine you grew up with an eyeball pasted to you, which was a VR eyeball, mm -hmm. with uh, ears, which were VR ears, mm -hmm. with tactile senses. You, you could be right now a billion miles away, and I could be a billion miles away in two different planets. Mm -hmm. And this is an experience we're having using those VR goggles, mm -hmm. right? And if you see these VR things are getting better and better and better, let's assume, how would you know? Yeah, that philosophical question, are we living in a simulation? Like, Well, are you living in a consciousness somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And is this all a projection, mm -hmm. okay? Now, it's so this itself could be a virtual reality, right? Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is, let's suppose you don't even know that, mm -hmm. and but you wore those goggles for so long, you think this is a reality. Mm -hmm. So this is the question that the Shaivite Hindus brought up. Mm -hmm. Their view was that the physical body, that this is what they called maya, illusion. Mm -hmm. That in fact, this is not reality. Mm -hmm. That we have forgotten that we are actually wearing these VR goggles, mm -hmm. okay? And the goal was when you meditated, when you asked these important questions or when you faced death or you had a loss or you lost someone, that was these glimpses where you had a chance to ask, what are, what am I? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And in my view, until you ask that question, I don't care how human you may look, you probably are a robot. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because that question leads to, to the, the question of connections. Who are you connected to? Are you connected to another human being? Are you part of a larger system, right? But until you ask that question, you are still wearing these VR goggles and you think this reality is it. Mm -hmm. So that's the fundamental question. And the conclusion that you connect to is that the fundamental between a human and a robot is that you probably come to the conclusion that there are many humans who are actually robots. Because one day we will have robots, right? Mm -hmm. 
that will do everything a human being does. They'll have grimaces, face expressions. They'll probably sit with you. They'll probably get so good, you won't even know. I mean, you and I were just having this question. We were playing the video. You said there's something uncanny. What did you say? Uh, there, well, there's a concept in, um, I know that there's a, a concept in, um, in, in this field called the, called the uncanny valley, whereas the more, the more realistic something gets, but it's not completely realistic, there's a point at where the human looking at it can't quite tell what's wrong, but something just looks off. And that's what I'm thinking as I'm, uh, as I was looking at, at these, uh, at these, um, at, at those robot examples, they don't look like um, uh, the the narrator was saying like, oh, you can't even tell the difference. And I'm just sort of I don't know if I was physically shaking my head, but I was just thinking like, no, nah, I can tell those aren't human, even though they they look really good. They're, they're very impressive, but uh, their their movements are just too stiff and like to for me to take for me to take that seriously. Like it it just goes to the expression is very realistic but it just goes to that expression and it freezes. It does. There's something still too machine like about it for me to, for me to, for me to take that seriously. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'd do a double take, but, but then I'd be like, nah, that doesn't look right. Yeah. So, so John, you're, so now the interesting thing is I experience that with certain humans. Yeah, that's true. There, there's okay. some, there are some people that you look like, like that guy. Just I see Tucker right. Carlson. You know, I said, this guy's a fake, <laughs> right? I see, uh, most people on uh, actors or celebrities, when the, if you actually catch them off when they're actually talking, there's no real, you know that they're making up something. Yeah. Right? So that's what I'm saying. You have humans who are robots and robots who may be able to transcend and may ask this question. So I think until the question of love is asked, the question of why do we exist is asked, but more importantly, we're a human being where this being asks a question, what is my connection to other things? And so we had an interesting experience today. You know, we have a, a very interesting team of people work together and we'd given an instruction to a guy to go do something, very precise instructions. Mm -hmm. And it's like, basically we told him to go North and he was going South. Right. And we started having this conversation. We said, Hey, we had a two hour meeting told you to do this, this, and this. Why did you do this? It's sort of like the wires got crossed and the instruction that was received in the head clearly wasn't the same as the instruction that was written. Right. But Exactly. That was conveyed. Yeah. Right. But as we had this two-hour conversation, we didn't do our meeting. We, I was very curious instead of getting pissed off, which is what I actually was pissed off. Why didn't this task get done? It came to the conclusion that he was all about being task-oriented. Right? Do this task, do this task, do this task. And like John said, his wires got miscrossed on this task. Mm -hmm. And the reason they got miscrossed was that he didn't see the whole picture of why we're doing all these intricate, like he's part of something that is really to like grow our movement. And his task is to help advance this movement. But he thinks he's coming to work just to put a screw on a bolt, mm -hmm. right? Or whatever, right? Or he's just a cog in the wheel. He doesn't understand the wheel even exists. Okay, the system even exists. And so we had this long conversation and we realized that the educational system today is creating robots. It is creating people, whether wherever in the world, to do a particular task, to get your wage for doing that task, then to go be with your family, have kids, right? Mm -hmm. uh, procreate, mm -hmm. 
get involved in the debt cycle and then die, whatever that is. But it's just to be this process. And we had this deep conversation recognizing until people recognize, even in their own jobs, what system they're working in. Um, they're basically, an, unless they do that, they're just an ant running around. They don't see the ant hill. And I gave an example of a friend of mine who works for a very large government organization. She had just hired a young woman, 25 years old, and the printer stopped working. Mm -hmm. And this woman comes running to her and says, oh, my God, the printer's not working. And my friend says, well, did you check if the printer has paper? True story. Did you check if it has paper? She goes, no. How do I do that? True story. <laughs> you, you said this person was 25 years old. 25 years old. Okay. And I could have she, been, I could have been a teenager and I could tell you to change the paper and a printer. Right. But the point is she had to go. The point is for that woman, the printer is just an outsourced device. Something going in magically paper is manu. She probably thinks paper is made in the printer. Paper. It just shows up in there. The, right. You, you press the button. Printer goes. Right. Just, so what's happened in a, the world we have right now, we live in a world of complex systems. Most people probably don't even know how this device works, right? Most people don't, probably don't even know how an Apple comes up to your local store with the Washington, how did it make it all the way from Washington here? It's called supply chain. Why is it that there is a baby formula shortage? Yeah. Right? No, uh, yeah, you might, people have, every, everybody, you know, you might have people that are very sophisticated at um, knowing how to manipulate their devices, but they, they, but you can have those same people being like, "Hey, why doesn't the government just print everybody money? That would solve everything." Like, right. So, so the interconnections are not taught. The ability to see interconnections between me and potentially something beyond me, me and maybe death, me and another human being. Um, me and being part of a large system. This is why I keep hammering on everyone. The only way out of this, and listen very carefully, in order not to be a robot, I want to give the solution, is that you have to study the science of systems. There's no other way. Because if you do not, and that's why all these philosophies were, they were called systems, traditional medical systems, yoga systems, right? People study these spiritual systems because they were trying to see their relationship to the world outside them, their relationship to nature. They were asking these fundamental systems questions. And so over the last 50 years, I realized that when you look at the world of engineering, when you look at the world of politics and you look at the world of medicine, even though these worlds seem very different, technology, you know, medicine and um, politics, they actually all are governed by the same systems principles. And I'm at the point now, I realize that you have, people being on the left and the right. Mm -hmm. It's like robot group A fighting robot group B, mm -hmm. cyborg A fighting cyborg B. Mm -hmm. It's really the best way to look at it, Yeah. right? And the way that's happening is because the humans who are the ones who created these robots, mm -hmm. and by the way, I'm not talking about in silico robots. I'm talking yeah. about carbon-based robots, which yeah. most humans are becoming that the elites who are actually manufacturing robots, which they've been doing in carbon-based bodies, probably since 1940s, okay? They've accelerated that. Dumbing people down so they don't think for themselves, they just respond to the programming. Right, they react. 
So that carbon-based robot, so when we created the manufacturing line, when Henry Ford created the manufacturing line, and I talked about this in another podcast, where you had, you just put the wheel on the car. You just put the hubcap on the wheel. Mm -hmm. That was robots. That was AI. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the elites was to make everyone their slaves by just having you do this task over and over and over again. So AI was created not using you know, these type of things that we're seeing in this, in this thing here, AI was created when they dehumanized a human being and just said, you'd keep doing this task. Don't think this thing happens to you. Don't organize a bottoms up movement to strike. You be a Democrat, you be a Republican. You one day vote for Obama, you next day vote for Trump. You give money here, you give money there. And you both are fighting against each other. I mean, it's quite incredible, right? All the elections is always so close. Yeah. 52, 48. And it didn't used to be the case. We've had we've had uh, we've had elections in the past where the electoral college was like like 300 plus votes for one person. We used to have like total landslides. It would sing the swing one way and then swing the other the next cycle. And yeah. now and now every election is so, so, so close by the same margins, it looks like. Yes, and, and they're very well engineered. So you have to come to the conclusion you have this mass of carbon-based beings that are hit with inputs mm -hmm. with, through the media. One group is told there is election issues and the other issues told China's obliterating our elections. And meanwhile, a guy's selling pillows, and making money off of it. Another guy selling ads, but no one goes at the real systems issues, the real problem, what they are, chain of custody, et cetera. Or you take the issue with pandemics. It's not about pro-vax, anti-vax, the real fundamental issues, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. And those solutions unite human beings because they help us understand interconnections. So I can't implore on you why in every video I keep putting that ticker down below. Right, John? Yeah. Please go learn the science of systems. P please become a warrior scholar. Why? Because I've come to the conclusion the elites are very strong. They have owned all the systems now, educational systems. They own the media systems. They own the left and the right. In fact, they own the people who claim they're fighting for you, which we call the not so obvious establishment. Yep. Yeah, like Tucker Carlson say a lot of good things. Then as soon as Hunter Biden tops out, eh, Hunter's a good guy. And it's like, wait, what? Not only that, he watches which way the wind blows. The not so obvious establishment doesn't say what needs to be said at the time. They wait. Yeah, people have gotten used to like the obvious establishment being so out of touch with anyone that they get fooled by the people that are smarter to actually say what you want to believe. Yeah, so, so they've learned how to manipulate us into left and right. This is part of what I call the roboticism. And the only way out of it is for people to understand the interconnections among things. Now, to do that, your school system doesn't teach you that. Oh, yeah. The people like you know, your school system doesn't teach you there is paper in the printer. You have all these woke, quote unquote, revolutionaries, these LARPing communists that actually, or the right wing or both, the right wing, too. But both, I'm saying but I'm, but I'm saying the, the ones that the, the but I'm but I'm saying that in the case of like the woke people that actually like play Antifa and think that they're being revolutionaries i'll get to the right wing in a second but in the case of the woke leftists they actually think that the schools are going to give them the tools to overthrow the system that runs the schools they're being indoctrinated by these teachers to do quote-unquote revolution but it's 
they, but but the, the the system is teaching them how to overthrow the system. That's not how it works. But then you have the right wing, the the right. The, but then you have the right wing. The same thing. Everybody talks about 1776 until it's time to do 1776 stuff. It's like, oh yeah, we'll do 1776 by voting. I don't think that's how the revolution happened. Well, not not even that, John. I think it's everyone talks about the Constitution. Everyone's yeah. got this robotic. The the right takes a position of okay, I'm for. First Amendment, Second Amendment, Constitution. Okay, mm -hmm. great. The left takes a position. I am I'm for organic food. You got to do yoga, da, da, da. Mm -hmm. The nerds take the position. You got to innovate our way out of things, right? So one group is about doing science and innovation, quote unquote, truth. The other group is about freedom, First Amendment, Second Amendment. And the other group is about health. You know, I'm against GMOs. You got to eat uh, cranberry juice, whatever the hell it is, right? Health, truth, and freedom, all separated. That's why when you take a systems approach, you realize that all of these three groups are completely robots mm -hmm. carrying around the flag, right? Talking constitution, constitution, constitution over here. Yep. Over here, talk being a nerd and talking in a nerd-like way. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that. You know, when I went to, first time I came to MIT, I didn't even know what MIT was until two weeks before I'd applied. I didn't even want to go to a big institution. I got in and I came and I saw all these people looked really unhealthy, <laughs> these, these nerds, okay? And then my physics teacher said, you gotta go there. And the only reason I came was because of Boston, but I swear to God, I would remember these kids who were normal kids yeah. who stood up straight, who had a personality. And within six months of being at MIT or at nine months, many of these kids would develop hunches talk with a little, some erratic hand waving. Oh yeah, they'll, and they'll have these, they'll these ticks and stuff ticks. like that, these weird postures. There you go. Yeah. And their nasal, because they'd seen, <laughs> seen some other nerd professor and you would literally see them become robots thinking they had to have this feel to now be intelligent. They had become robots because fundamentally they had probably made it through high school wanting to get into MIT all their lives just doing the thing, being robots. Like those um, people learn how to play violin. They just go over and over and over again. But you hear the violin play, it sounds good, but something's missing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have this real human passion. Mm -hmm. So this is what, so the, so the nerds wanna do their thing. The truth people, the rednecks wanna do their thing. Mm -hmm. And you have the yoga Nazis wanting to do their thing. And this is why nothing changes because each group thinks they're better and they're actually robots. Yeah. It is our movement, and I say it as a movement because it takes great consciousness to realize why you need to have a movement. Not everyone gets this. But our movement said, you know what? All these three systems have got to interconnect. Mm -hmm. So the fight for freedom is directly related to how much truth and innovation you can have. Mm -hmm. you, innovation demands freedom. Right. Science demands freedom. And you can't, and, and only... And none of this can exist if you have a bunch of fat slobs who don't know what to eat, how to live, and they're eating Burger King, and they're uh, they don't they, their bodies can't even think properly. So when you have bad health, yeah. you can't even fight for freedom or do things. So all these things are connected: truth, freedom, and health. Yeah. Why don't we ever have nerds that like pump iron and like work out? I'm sure it would actually be like good for your brain and increase your blood flow and stuff like that. Well, here's the thing: I noticed this when I was at MIT. I came in as an athlete, you know, and if you were an athlete, you must be dumb. There was a guy in our fraternity 
uh, who became one of the leading surgeons. And he came from the South, very slow talking. He was an Olympic level skier and everyone thought Hansel was dumb. But he ended up getting an MD, PhD because they, the media has said, has created these robotic archetypes. In order to be a movie star, you must be like this. In order to be a nerd, you must be like this. In order to be a, a healthy person, you must be like this. They've created these archetypes. And God forbid, if you are good looking and you are healthy and you know about fighting for freedom and an activist and you are a nerd, right? Yeah. That's not allowed. In fact, there's a lot of jealousy against that because most of the Tucker Carlson's of the world who grew up as essentially a rich white boy, preppy boy, hanging around with Hunter Biden, mm -hmm. needs, by the way, Hunter Biden to get his son into a school, mm -hmm. right? Right, right. That's the trajectory he's on. He's, he, he wears a certain dress. He wears a uniform. The person who grew up in Malibu, mm -hmm. right, has to look a certain way, talk a certain way you know, get Botox a certain way to appeal to that. So basically we live in a world of robots. That's my bottom line. And you go beyond being a robot until you ask this question, who am I? What's my interconnection to other things? Now, if the school systems aren't going to teach you that, yep. if the political systems aren't going to teach you that, if the health systems aren't going to, where are you going to get that knowledge? Which means what the elites are doing right now in a very profound way is they've actually created lots of human robots, meaning quote unquote human robots, robots in flesh and blood. And in my view, what they're doing is they're saying, wow, it costs me $200,000 to keep 300 in the United States, 300 million robots going. Mm -hmm. It costs me at the world level to keep, you know, whatever, $300,000 to keep 7.2 billion robots going. Mm -hmm. And among those robots, I see over here are some of people who are humans who think who are on my side, the elites, mm -hmm. and there's some other humans who are on their side. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. But the vast majority of people are robots, mm -hmm. and they're doing this calculation. Well, why do I need 7.2 billion flesh and blood robots? Suppose I can replace them mm -hmm. with things that don't ask for food, mm -hmm. don't need this, this, and this, right? Mm -hmm. A calculation probably has already been made. And the calculation is I'm going to keep the really, really dumb human robots mm -hmm. who don't think and they don't know there's a printer and a machine, mm -hmm. I don't need them, okay? Mm -hmm. It may be cheaper and so paying health benefits to replace it with a machine, like you said. Mm -hmm. And in fact, maybe I even don't want to even have them alive, mm -hmm. right? Let them die. Mm -hmm. So that calculation, in my view, has already been made. And the only way out of this, whether you believe in these conspiracy theories, et cetera, is much more personal, which is, do you want to be a robot? And that requires a very, very significant re an education and enlightenment process where you have to ask, who am I? And what do I fit into this larger system? Now, the, the reality is people don't have the tools to even answer that question. And that is why learning to think the science of systems is so important. And that is why I, I am so... Um, I implore people to take time to go to truthfreedomhealth.com, understand the science of systems, because I wish that this had existed back in 1978. We could have taught a lot of people. Yeah. So, and, and John, you may want to share your experiences, you know, how, you know, you connected with the system science and how it's profoundly taken you from 
where you were very parochial and what you mm -hmm. thought how a movement should get done. Right. Yeah. And in, in where you went, I think people would be very interested in hearing your journey. Well, I first came across Dr. Shiva when uh, I was a student in college and we were um, and uh, I was, you know, very much one of those uh, like I, at the time I would have identified as a libertarian. I had gotten into politics, gotten excited by the Ron Paul campaign in 2012 and by 2016, I was very much into, you know, that sort of constitutional activism type of thing. And um, long story short, myself and another and a, a whole bunch of other students were getting involved in organizing like free speech rallies and stuff like that, because we were concerned about like the encroaching of government power and stuff and all that stuff and um, uh, and constitutionalism. But um, being so very young and passionate, we didn't actually like, you know, know what we were doing. We didn't have this theoretical framework. We were sort of just watching what um uh watching um uh um whatchamacallit we were just watching how other people does it or how like the media portrayed you're supposed to be an activist and stuff stuff like that and so like if um uh and so long story short we and we were of course were sort of like demonized and canceled for standing up for free speech but one of the people that stood with us was dr shiva he sort of liked what we were doing saw that we had a lot of passion but knew that we needed leadership so he sort of uh so we actually learned about had learned about his end campaign and reached out to him and we had invited him as a speaker and um uh and he stood with us when a lot of other people didn't after you know the sort of cancel culture came for us and uh, so so you know since he stood with me i've stood with him ever since and I'm glad that I, and I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that it worked out that way. Because if the not so obvious establishment had swooped in and tried to co-opt us, we would have been, I would have been none the wiser. I, they could have easily snapped me up and made me think, oh, that that by um, uh, following along in in their machine was was uh, the, their definition of success. Um, uh, then I would have been very vulnerable to that. So so I sort of lucked out. In the sense that I've had that I've sort of had the opportunity to learn from you working very closely um, uh, over the the years since then, and um, uh, it really is uh, it it really is everything that Dr. Shiva says when uh, learning about to understand the interconnection between things and how you can apply it to your life. You can apply it to business. You can apply it to relationships. But the most important thing that I would say is get the education, but then actually use it because <laughs> one of the most uh, unfortunate observations that I that I've personally seen and Dr. Shiva gets John, let, let well. me just give people a little bit of context. Yeah. What we're sharing here was in August 17th, August, August 19th, 19th, 2017, 2017, there was a um, a rally that John's talking about was organized in Boston mm -hmm. um, uh, to essentially have a range of speakers. We wanted to get beyond the robotism right of left and right. So there's a free speech rally organized because uh, students like John were feeling that on college campuses. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, online call. Uh, people are feeling um, super sticker. So people are feeling, um, students of John's age were feeling that there was, the entire education was being robotized. Yep. That out of a spectrum of thought, you were only allowed to just get a few spectrum of thought, right? Mm -hmm. Like one, right? And so John, and I connect, and we organize this free speech rally, right? Mm -hmm. And we invited everyone, mm -hmm. people of all backgrounds, left wing, right wing, uh, everyone. I will say that the so-called that the so-called right wingers did seem more eager to jump on board 
I think I think at that time, oh, yeah, the Green Party who wanted to come. And, yeah, the, you, you did yeah. it. You had you had that. I'm saying that those people came on board later on. I think that partially, um, uh, you but with the with the left wing right wing dialectic, they've turned free speech into one of those left wing yes, right wing a, a right wing issue. Yeah, yeah. So now the right wingers are supposedly pro free speech, and if you're left wing, you have to then free speech has to be code for ooh, evil hate speech and right. stuff like that. But anyway, a lot of so what happened was, um. That was what a week. So the 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 rally was set for August seventeenth, right? Nineteenth, twenty nineteenth was. Um, I decided to go, and then a week before that, Charlottesville took place. Yes, and they immediately seized upon that, and they actually spread. Let's just explain what Charlottesville was. Charlottesville yeah. was a rally that took place where there were people walking around with tiki torches and stuff like this, and. Um, people characterize that as a Nazi event. You, you, I've heard you refer to those types of people as cultural nationalists. Yeah, cultural nationalists. But, but, but to keep it um, simple, because we could do a whole video on that. You can go look it up. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening was the media robotically branded the August 17th event in Boston also as an extension of Charlottesville they, and being a Nazi event. And they, what you they literally claimed in, in completely false stories, they literally claimed that we were the exact same people coming up from Charlottesville and, to Boston. And what you can see in this thing is this resulted in 40,000 people, Boston rally against hate speech, avoid Charlottesville chaos. So 40,000 people ended up showing up against the 40 of us because many of the speakers canceled right john oh yeah pretty much all of the remember a lot of the so-called right right wingers that i mentioned that 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 were so eager to stand for free speech because they had created the left wing right wing issue yeah pretty much all of the right most of the most of the so-called right wingers ended up dropping out once once everything got hot right and what you can see what i want to share with you is the level of roboticism that got created as you can see right here if I share the screen here, you can see that 40,000 people came up convinced that I was a, a Nazi mm -hmm. and they had to uh, kick us out of the Boston Common. And it was quite crazy. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. No, they had to. They had to. Um, uh, they had like a lot of us. The, the police had to escort out in paddy wagons in armored cars basically. to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the reality was this was what was actually going on the stage. Mm -hmm. There was 40 of us, as you can see here. And there were, by the way, there were hundreds of others trying to get in, but the, but the, but the, but the perimeter got shut down and they wouldn't let anyone else but, in. But finally, one news station, which did an honest report, they said GOP Senate candidate called for peace and love at Boston. And we actually had signs which said black lives do matter. Differentiating, differentiating the, ourselves from the BLM organization. Yeah, we just said, look, black lives do matter, yeah, right? It's a, it's a true statement. But yes. we also had signs which said no to GMOs, stop Monsanto, right? So this was what they had characterized. You had black, white. I mean, I, there's some really cool shots here, but you'll see if you go research this, they literally got out robots. The robots were brought out right here, as you can see, to basically based on input that they had received, input output response that these people were Nazis. So pure, pure robot response. Those guys are the bad. Go get them. Yeah. And so one of the things we teach in the system science courses, unless you understand the science of this, you will have no weaponry to fight it. And one of the co fundamental concepts we teach that comes out of engineering systems theory to understand this kind of mass behavior, there are things called open, there's two kinds of systems in the world, open systems 
systems that simply take an input and result in an output. It's called a dumb system. That only has five components. Intelligent systems have nine components where they have the ability to actually be an observer, witness their own process. In the spiritual systems, they call the super consciousness or becoming aware. Some systems call it love. Some systems call it compassion, okay? But it is where you become aware of what you want to achieve in life. You control the inputs, your destiny. You observe your response, which means you take accountability for your actions. And you're heading towards a goal and knowing this is a refinement process. But these fools that we're seeing here were robots, input, output. Dr. Shiva is a Nazi. John Medlar is a Nazi. Go sick them, right? 40,000 of them. 40,000 people. More, a lot more robots than people that actually took the time to look at what was actually going on. Yeah, so 40,000 people versus 40. Mm -hmm. But that's when we realize that we needed to educate people on this system's approach, and there is a science to it. And the good news is the degrees I got at MIT the experience I had on the ground helped us evolve this into a very practical knowledge of systems. So what I'm trying to say here is you're headed to become a freaking robot, whether you like it or not. If you do not understand the interconnections of systems. Now, many of you on the feed here intuitively understand this, mm -hmm. but without the chops, mm -hmm. you're like a um, talented athlete who has good genes, but you really don't know why, how to exercise your athleticism. This is why when you look at many of the arts or many of sports, you have a lot of people with a lot of great talent, but only a few are making it, quote unquote, making it. Why? Because there are people who actually go get the training. It's not luck. Mm -hmm. There's someone who actually goes and gets trained and does the exercises and learns the physics, the philosophy, the theory and they have talent. Mm -hmm. Then there's other people who just have talent and they fritter it away. So there's a lot of people on our feed who have tremendous talent. Yeah. You know it intuitively, mm -hmm. but you don't know why and you don't have the skill set. And without the skill set, you will jump into these movements, right wing or left wing. You'll say, oh my God, I got to protect free speech. Elon Musk is doing such a, a great job. Well, Elon Musk is not doing such a great job, mm -hmm. okay? He doesn't really know what the fuck is going on. He actually sees Twitter as a business opportunity. He will speak about free speech to the extent that it gets people on buying more Teslas. But the reality is when you take a systems approach, you find the interconnection that for the last five years, Twitter has had an unholy relationship with government. Mm -hmm. And Twitter and government and the Ministry of Truth have always been one. It's not Biden who started this. So this is where, unless you get the chops, it's like literally you're getting on a ski slope and you're just trying to figure out, yeah, you could figure it out after about 20, 30, 50, 100 falls. Yeah. But if you understand the physics of how to ski, you oh, you say that's how weight balances. You, you, you don't have to do 50 falls. Maybe you only do 10 falls. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I've, I, I know a lot of people it's still in the activist world that sort of are sort of at the point where we're at, but they've had to get stabbed in the back so many times to realize that. And so you don't want to have to go through that. If you have the opportunity to get ahead of the game and uh, and and learn, it, one of the I'd say one of the big revelations that I got from from everything that you talk about is like say when I went through what you just said with like the difference between talent and technique, 
Um, uh, when I went through school, like I would take a music theory class and it would be so boring because I didn't get it. Like, why are we talking about all this stuff? I just want to make music and stuff like that. But then you, but then, um, uh, it's only after, but then it's only after like a lot of the stuff that, that you talk about that I, that I start to realize, wait a minute, the, the, the difference between someone who just has a one hit wonder and then nobody ever hears about them again. And the people who keep making great stuff over and over and over, whether it's a musician, whether it's a filmmaker, whether it's a writer, the, the people that, the people that, um, uh, that consistently do excellent work have the technique and it's, and, and, and they understand theory. Yeah. They so you have to theory. have theory and talent. And when those come together, you have the ability to change the world. Mm -hmm. um, the people who follow me, listen to our posts, get excited about, you know, the, the content we share, have the intuitive knowledge. Mm -hmm. But if they have the intellectual theory and understanding why, then you have, you move from robot or to raw talent to actually be a very powerful human being, human you know, in some traditions, the word human mean, means an agent serving God. Okay, hue, which is an ancient sound. So the issue is, do we want to be agents of change co-creators with the divine, or do we want to be subjects to devils? <laughs> that's what it really comes down to, to in intellectualism. So that's why, you know, in closing, I think, John, we've talked a lot of good things. I don't know if anyone here has some points. Yeah. But yeah, I'd like to I'd like to address this. Um, yeah. Peter says Dr. Shiva wants to be our leader. Question mark. Well, the whole point of 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 learning this theory is that you have the tools to be a leader in your own community. Yeah. So. The the goal here is I got to tell you that every day I get up, there's so many things. I mean, when I was in India, it was like I have a lot of wealth I've created. I don't need to do this. You know, mm -hmm. the reason I do this is it's a commitment that I made to my grandparents for the great things that they gave me and, and to the uh, teachers, many poor working class teachers in New Jersey taught me a lot, far more than MIT. And the commitment that I made was that the knowledge that I was able to put together and organize into understanding systems is my small gift back to all that I'd received. Now, the reality is that each one of you must be an agent of change. Because no one individual, it's a top-down model then. It's not bottoms up. Yeah, I can share all this knowledge, and I'm pretty good at sharing it and communicating it and organizing it. But that is only one individual. Now, to the extent where I can help inspire you or, or someone like John who takes mm -hmm. learns this can inspire you, if you want to call that leaders, great. But the reality is that if each one of you can understand how the anthill works, you become an enlightened ant. <laughs> you can see your role in this. I'm a, an ant, but I see that I was being, uh, was given this knowledge and my role is can I disperse this knowledge? And I always test myself, hey, d how many other people got it? And is John able to communicate this to others? Mm -hmm. And then he becomes a individual who becomes an agent of change. So the concept of leader you know, really is a top-down concept. So it's, Peter- you might, you might even say it's a robot concept. It's a robot concept, Peter. So when you ask that question, don't take this the wrong way, Peter. It's a question that our questions reveal a lot about ourselves, by the way, where we're at. So that question means that you think there's a top-down model. 
But when you really look at systems, there's a thing called self-organizing systems. So think about all of us actually interconnected. And it could be that one point on that system is starting to understand it. So it starts moving, but it only moves a fabric within it. And let's say I'm affecting so many people, but let's say, you know, Heather is halfway around the world and she starts moving, you know, and then you have someone in Africa starts moving. Now you create a wave and you don't need to move all 7.2 billion people. If you can get enough people who get these concepts, then you create a wave. And the cool thing about this is you don't need all 7.2 billion people. You probably only need maybe 50,000, a million people. It's like, how many people know, let, let me end on this. How many people know nuclear physics? How many people can build a nuclear bomb? Very, very few. Out of 7.2 billion people, I believe there's probably only 100 people who know how to build a nuclear bomb, okay, on the planet right now. I mean, actually end to end. So 100 divided by 7.2 billion. What number is that? Let's look at what the fraction is. Okay. Okay, that is times 100. That's 0.00000138%. Okay. Now, but if you know how to build a nuclear bomb, I'm sorry, you're a pretty powerful individual. And what I'm talking about is if you understand system science, you become a very powerful individual who can affect change. And that's the goal here. Do you want to be someone who knows how to just burn down trees and start a little fire? Or do you want to be a nuclear physicist who understands what is a system? Am I a robot? Am I a human? What am I part of? The printer needs paper. I know how to change paper. Mm-hmm. I'm, not a, I'm not someone who thinks the paper grows in the printer. Seeing these interconnections. And that is the modern science of systems. And if we don't study the science of systems, you may have all the passion. You may think you know it, but you don't have the chops. And this is what I shared with John. I, I know a lot of people who pick up a guitar and they can play it. And they'll do one hit wonders, one song, and you'll never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy who put in his time. He learned the theory. Not only did he get one hit song, he got another one over and over and over and over again. Okay. The Beatles were very well trained. Yep. Okay. All these musicians practice. They learn some theory. Once in a while, you get some, but it's very rare. Beethoven was very well trained. All these people were trained and they had talent. But if you have talent and you don't have theory, you're screwed. Now, what happens is the elites train their people with theory, but they don't have any heart. So there's about 5,000 people on this planet who actually do know system science. And they're the people determining whether you're a robot or whether you're going to be a human being. So that's what this is about. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to make it easy for people. I don't have to do this, but please get the freaking book. It's free. Yeah. Okay. Go learn and go educate children. You can become a leader. So stop asking questions. Oh, is Dr. Shiva the leader? Dr. Shiva, what are you going to do next? No, it's about, are you going to learn the science of systems? What will you do next? And if I can be someone who catalyzes that, and you can be someone who catalyzes that, now we have an opportunity to stop asking dumb questions, okay? Because dumb questions mean you're a robot. Smart questions mean you're a human being. 
understanding your interconnection to other things, that's called being human. But the educational system has destroyed people's ability to be humans anymore. And the only way out of it is, it, by the way, you don't need all this. If you have a chance to go into quiet reflection and sit in a cave, all of these answers are within us, by the way. But most of us don't have that opportunity because we're all working our butts off. So my intention was to create a vehicle that all of you could learn. That's just the knowledge. But more importantly, you can't do this without a community of people. And it has to be independent of big tech. So we created a way that you could communicate independent of big tech. And then third, you got to get on the ground and meet other people and do stuff. So we've created that platform. And I hope this discussion and every discussion I have is, if you notice, is always trying to compel you. Please learn this knowledge. Please, if I'm talking about strawberries and cardiovascular system, and if I'm talking about robots, it's like, please, 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 you know, do this for yourself because we need to raise the consciousness. And instead of going to a guru or, you know, going away to an ashram, this is something you can do on your own and you have the community of people to do this. So we become a self-organizing system. Yeah. Get so, out there, touch grass, organize your friends and just go on a walk or go fishing, do something with people. Yeah, and we've created a, a community that we are actually compelling people to do simple things. Hey, share that video with someone, take the course, share this course with a child. But that is the movement. The movement is truth and freedom and health. Not the freedom guys over here, not the truth, the, not the nerds, not the yoga Nazis, people coming together to galvanize a conscious movement. Yeah, you can't have a movement without people actually moving. You have to actually get off your butt, get out the door and interact with other people. Yeah, let me play this video and we'll be right back to show you that we're walking the walk and we want people to walk the walk to actually, we're giving you the tools, we're giving you infrastructure and you can't get this anywhere else. And the idea is we have to start asking these very profound, deep questions. Am I a robot? Or am I a human? So listen to the video. Hello, this is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Welcome to VA Shiva, the platform of education, technology, and activism, so you may raise your consciousness to win the truth, freedom, and health you need to create the future you deserve. The VA Shiva platform provides this truth, freedom, health warrior scholars the following three capabilities. Number one, an ultimate education that is based on the science of systems. Number two, technologies to empower you to take charge of your health, as well as social media tools, independent of big tech, so you can connect with other incredible truth, freedom, health warrior scholars equally dedicated like you to winning truth, freedom, and health. Three, instruments for activism so you become a beacon of light in your online and offline community to educate others, growth, and advancement. VA Shiva provides you the foundations of the science of systems, the ultimate education. The science of systems provides you the missing fundamental scientific knowledge to understand every system in and around you. The science of systems will enable you to uncover the real problem and real solution in any situation and on any issue. Concerning the educational component, first you will receive direct access to me to learn the science of systems in my three-hour live private online group class that I run every week. Second, you will have access to archived lectures so you can continue your education independent of me. Third, you can test your proficiency in learning the fundamental principles and get a formal certification for the foundations of systems. Independent of this classroom education, you will receive also four important books. The first book is the best-selling classic Systems and Revolution from which you can learn all of these concepts and more. The second book is the science of everything that will educate you on how the science of systems 
systems is the foundational knowledge of every system in the universe. The third book, Your Body, Your System, focuses on how to understand the interplay of these systems within your own body. And then the fourth book, Your System, Your Life, will help you apply these principles to other aspects of your life, such as running a business, understanding relationships, and more. Beyond the curriculum and books, the second capability is the technologies that you will be afforded. One of them is a powerful Your Body, Your System software, which is an online laboratory where you can use your body as a system to further deepen your understanding of the science of systems. The tool allows you to understand what kind of system you are. Is your system on course or is it off course? And how the inputs of food, supplements, herbs, activities such as sleep, yoga, meditation, exercise can affect your body to bring it back on course. Finally, to support your education, I've also included a seminal scientific paper that I wrote which will help you understand that the knowledge of systems it does not only originate in the modern world starting in the 1920s and 30s, but it actually dates back 10 to 20,000 years and intersects directly with the foundations of Eastern systems of medicine. In addition to this, you will also get two scientific papers sharing how the science of systems can also be used to apply to understanding how food is medicine. One paper exposes turmeric from the molecular systems level and how it affects your body. The other paper explores ginger and how that affects your body. That's just the educational piece. As you raise your consciousness through this education, you will likely want to connect with other Truth Freedom Health Warrior Scholars in an environment where you can connect and build community. To support that, I've also created two powerful social media tools. One of them is a VA Shiva forum. Here you can start discussions, you can pose questions and meet others and have healthy debates. The other is VA Shiva Social, where you can create your own profile, your own presence, like other major social media tools. However, it is independent of big tech. You can use VA Shiva Social to interconnect with your fellow Truth Freedom Health Warrior scholars and build community. Beyond the education capability and the social media capability, the platform also enables you to take action by disseminating your knowledge on the ground and into your local online and offline communities. Powerful educational cards and research are included so you can pass these cards to your friends and neighbors that provide them summarized content which further directs them to online research and education. In addition to this, the activism component also provides you many, many short one-minute educational video content, memes and text, allowing you to quickly craft messages for your Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok and other pages so you can deliver content to educate others and drive them to longer educational posts on VA Shiva. VA Shiva is fundamentally an enabling platform for you to get the truth, freedom and health you deserve through education, technology and activism. I hope you become a truth, freedom and health warrior scholar today. Thank you. All right, everyone, I hope that was helpful. Um, we're going to be doing a launching a series. Um, as some of you know, back in 2020, our movement was the first to really talk about the reality of the immune system and the bigger issues from a scientific perspective and educate people. We're going to be doing a series on the monkeypox and smallpox beyond sort of this uh, left and right issues, really to educate you, again, arm you from a systems approach on how to really understand this from what is monkeypox, what is smallpox, what are these viruses, um, what are the mechanisms of action from a biology perspective, what are solution, conventional solutions, what are some alternative solutions also. We're going to look at some fascinating things and we're going to be doing it as a series and any one of you who are warriors, Truth Freedom Health Warriors, uh, everyone has access, but I want to, I got to keep incentivizing everyone here to learn this knowledge. So we're gonna also make it accessible to people 
anyone who wants to do, but just keep an eye out for that. But we're going to be doing a whole series on it. So you're not just getting little pieces of knowledge. It'll become a reference source that you can use as you're trying to figure out what's going on. So keep an eye out for that. John, is there anything else that you wanted me to bring up? Yeah, by the way, before we uh, sign off, I want everyone to know that you can find all of Dr. Shiva's content on all of the podcast platforms, all of the major podcast platforms. We put up all the episodes of Dr. Shiva Live there. We're also on pretty much like every every uh, social media platform and a lot of the alternative social media platforms that you can think of. So wherever you do your social media or wherever you listen to podcasts, look us up there because we we're probably there. We're on, I know we're on Gab, we're on Telegram, we're on Getter, we're on um, uh, Parler. But, but yeah, we're go, go and go and look up our content where you like to look for content, uh, whether it's podcasts or all this stuff. We don't we don't promote that enough. We don't. We, we're every day and morning. We're doing so much work that we don't. We just keep putting this stuff out there. Um, it, it's um, we want to thank all the people who help us get this out there. But our goal is to train people on a systems approach. And uh, so each each person here can really be a compelling um, a source of inspiration in their local community. So please take advantage of that. Be well. Have a good night. We'll see you shortly. And uh, keep an eye out for the work that we're going to be doing, the educational stuff. On, um, In fact, we're going to do a whole educational series on supply chains also. So keep an eye out on for that. Thank you. Be well. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. John Medlark. Pleasure. We'll see, John. You didn't, we'll see. The, you didn't end the broadcast. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Be well. <laughs>